Magazines of Monsters, episode 52, Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number 8 and 9, from 1973. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another recording for the show, and this one is fantastic. It's not only fantastic content, but I have two A-listers here to uh, help me out with the material. Uh, uh, one of them is uh, none other than Professor Allen from the Relatively Geeky Network. How are you, sir? Great. Good to be here, Billy. I love this podcast. Yep. Uh, comics and Creatures? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yes. one of my absolute favorites. One of my absolute favorites. Oh, absolutely. It's it's right up there uh, download-wise. You know, watch out, uh, Joe Rogan. I'm going to knock your butt right off of Spotify and the number one position. It's going to happen. Uh, mark it down. <laughs> so, as if uh, that guest wasn't enough, I have uh, another returning guest here, uh, a fellow that's been on to talk some comics with me, to talk some kaiju with me. Uh, Luke Giaconetti from Earth Destruction Directive. How are you, my friend? I am doing great, Bill. Thank you very much for having me on. And, uh, you know, anytime can uh, can talk some comics and or monsters. You know, that's that's always good. I'm not just that Godzilla guy like somebody once called me on the, uh, the old Two True Freaks forum. Uh, but uh, I, I do have other I do have other interests and knowledge of other things on occasion. So, I mean, it's it's. It's not that that's incorrect, Luke. It's just yeah. incomplete. Well, I didn't even mind it, except it was the addition of the word just. See, there but you go. Was, I, like, get you. Ju- I get you. You're just that Godzilla guy. It's like, excuse me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I do pigeonhole people. And not necessarily on this episode uh, for Luke, but there is a specific uh, reason you are here, uh, Professor. Is there not? This is this this one is all about small business, entrepreneurship, and proper accounting procedures. I am <laughs> your man. Mm-hmm. We're I talking about. The, I am putting the professor in Professor Allen on this episode. Yeah, yep. I think any time any time that gap, you know, your generally accepted accounting <laughs> principles can be brought up when discussing Marvel comics. It's a good thing. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this episode is going to focus on economics, just economics through the lens of Bronze Age Marvel black exploitation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> so yeah, specifically, we are going to be talking about 
the hero for hire, Luke Cage, and a little two-part story he had back in 1973 uh, with issues eight and nine, uh, a two-parter that doesn't uh, maybe make a ton of sense from a standpoint of superheroing, <laughs> but you know it, it does make a lot of sense to me being a Bronze Age fan. So uh, uh, what about and you this two guys? Is- well, this is one of those stories that you know of. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one or two panels mm-hmm. that you've seen a thousand times online. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is the first time you've heard a, 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 a three good buddies actually talk about the issues themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly uh, think there are a few scenes, a few panels that are much more famous than the story in its, in its fullness is. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and we're gonna definitely have some dramatic readings here of some specific yeah. dialogue in these stories uh and i mean hey uh i'll believe me i'll easily uh take the brunt of all the hate mail for them if uh you know anything uh, gets fired our way i'll i'll be the ones to you know say the lines so all the all the uh the, the beatings come my way i won't hold hey, you, you know responsible i don't i don't i'll i'll say it right now i'll say it right now okay us luke's gotta stick together i got no issue reading any dialogue that luke cage has okay because you know steve Englehart, you know did, did he he was coming from a place of honesty with it it wasn't meant to be it, it's of its time right so mm-hmm. I, I got yes. no issue with any of this and you know that that was uh that i mean that's how i got into luke cage Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had a couple of issues when I was a, a, a wee lad of the age of about 11 or 12. I had a couple issues of Cage's 90s series because mm-hmm. I was just I was really getting into Marvel and just trying all sorts of stuff. Um, but I really got into Luke Cage for reals uh, when I was in college. It was like in 2001, 2002, right around there. And I got actually the first three issues of Hero for Hire off of eBay back in the day mm. back when you get, get some better nice. deals off of ebay sure. and i remember sitting in my dorm room it was a winner and i mean it was winter in south carolina but it was still winter so you it wasn't necessarily <laughs> going out much at night and i remember reading those three comics <laughs> saying oh man I, this guy is awesome is it not only is his name luke you know we have like the same personality <laughs> we're, we're margins we like money you know so mm-hmm. so eventually you know, I collected a ton of Luke Cage, Bronze Age stuff. And then when the Essential came out, which I'm trying to see, this was published in 2005. This wow. uh, Luke Cage, Power Man, Volume 1 Essential. That was when I first read this story. And oh boy, when those panels started showing up, people thought it was like Photoshopped. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Got it right here. Mm-hmm. yeah i imagine you in college probably uh having the same wardrobe as luke cage in these issues as well probably oh, yeah, right? you know man you know it the chain belt tiara whole nine mm-hmm. same name same personality hey, com- same complex- sense of fashion hey complexion's <laughs> a little different but other than that we're basically the same guy right so no, I mean, yeah it's true yours you true. know so. <laughs> unbuttoned shirt I, I i can see it absolutely yeah, yeah, for sure. The ladies <laughs> love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, so why don't we jump into some particulars here? So the, the first issue here we're going to be talking about is a Hero for I, excuse me, Hero for Hire number eight from April 1973. And this is a, a cover by uh, Billy Graham. And we have story by Steve Englehart, uh, pencils by George Tuska, inks Billy Graham, 
colors Andrea Hunt, and letters John Costanza. And this is, you know, we talk about pigeonholing people, so, you know, we're, we're not talking about kaiju here, but we are talking about an artist that, you know, I know you really like a lot, and uh, so do I here, especially on this title, and that's uh, George Tuska, right, Luke? Yeah, see, uh, we, we had talked previously about this, and I'm a big fan of George Tuska from his Iron Man work. And I was in, and and I was familiar with him on Iron Man before I got into his work on on Luke Cage, but it's it's another sort of good fit for Tuska, especially here with Billy Graham as as the anchor. I think he looks really good. But the thing with with Tuska, and I think what turns off uh, some of my uh, colleagues and contemporaries to him is that I think he doesn't necessarily do, or he's not necessarily well suited to like traditional superheroics, right? Mm-hmm. So when you see something that's um, that's very kind of, I don't want again, just just more traditional trad superheroes, he looks a little off. But with Iron Man, where you've got a hero that you don't see his face, mm-hmm. and then all the kind of grotesquerie around him, that was a good fit. And that's kind of the same way here. Now, obviously, Cage is his face isn't covered, but. The, the setting is atypical, especially for Marvel at this time. And there's a lot of grotesquery in the people and the villains that Cage interacts with. So I think because it's it's got that, the way that I heard it described once was urban surrealism. Mm. So I, I think the urban surrealism is, is, a, is a good fit for Tuska on this series. And there are just certain characters he, he seems to do well on, and Luke Cage is one of them. Yeah. Professor, what do you think? Anything, uh, thoughts on Tuska? Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he gets the job done. And in the seventies, I, I think he fits, I think he fits that style. I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, uh, I, to me, he can get a little stiff and, and a little squared off at times, but, uh, he's fine. Gets the job done as they say. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of him on this title. Compared to like, mm-hmm. oh, let's say yeah. throw him out on Avengers or something like that. I right. think I think this title definitely suits him pretty well, and I think also Billy Graham as an inker suits him uh, pretty good too. Yeah, and I think we'll see some of that in not in this issue, but in issue nine, we'll see a great mm-hmm. demonstration of that. I think I think it's actually like an object lesson, right? So we'll talk mm-hmm. about that when we get to the second issue. Yeah, so I do love how on uh, Grand Comics database here sometimes they'll have a, a, a heading saying first line of dialogue or text and this one says luke cage is one mad citizen right about now (laughs) so (laughs) fantastic so yeah if you guys want to why don't we uh, take a peek at the cover here so what do you guys think of this cover we have you know cage here and it's a you know big a lot of print there luke cage hero for hire huge at the top and then that you know typical uh pose of him kind of clenching his fist uh being kind of pissed off and uh, he's in the circle in the upper corner there in the corner box. And uh, we have uh, one, two, three, four robots attacking him and uh, him uh, with some uh, angry face saying, first, the androids dude it up like human beings. And now you and he's pointing towards someone here that, you know, for a layman, you might not know who this is, but the the, the keen eye can uh, figure out who oh, this is here. Uh, right. Everybody knows that awesome green cloak. Come on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, about the, about the, well, about the only thing you could say is that they're due to the print, the, the process of color printing in the 60s. There are a lot of Marvel villains who are who wear green and or purple. So it's yeah. true. Theoretically, <laughs> you know, it could be some other guy from the Silver Age. But 
<laughs> well, in the bottom too, it says but, a surprise supervillain lurks within these pages, and wait till you find out who. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, Everyone likes a surprise. Everyone mm-hmm. likes a surprise. Hey, it's one hey, of it's you, one of Eric. It's it's one of Eric Bischoff's five principles for creating episodic <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> you need you need what? You need story, action, reality, surprise, and anticipation, right? So it's got to mm-hmm. be in there. Mm-hmm. But you're 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 right about the the font. I mean that that Luke Cage here for hire, that takes up. I just eyeballed it, you know, with my fingers. That's about forty percent of the cover. It it it, yep. it it is more than a third of the cover taken up by <laughs> that is. big block text. So you got everyone else is literally squeezed in underneath it and a little bit, you know, to the side of it. Mm-hmm. It's just an odd choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I do love that classic logo. I like it. It's funny because Cage before in his solo book, he had three logos. He had this one um, when the title changes over to Hero for Hire which is, or excuse me, changes from hero, hero to hire, hero for hire to power man, which I want to say is either like 16, 17, somewhere around there. Uh, that, that, that new heading, that new logo is all right. It's a little bit smaller, but it's also a little more plain. Like I kind of like that this big, bold cover. It's issue 17. Mm-hmm. I'm finding it now. 17. Where he's kinda, yep. Yeah. Where he's kind of relaunched guest starring Iron Man, actually. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, that one's okay. And, but the, and that, and that's kind of the, that's the one that was like that early one, but the, the second power man logo, which is the more rounded one, which would become kind of his logo going forward. That one is, is much nicer and it's not as big. It looks a little bit, uh, a little bit better. What's, um, what's funny is that, um, in the indicia, it's, you know, the, the book for a long time was, was, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was just called Luke Cage in the indicia and then later they would change it to power man like i think it was called luke cage and the hero for hire wasn't part of the official title and then they changed it to power man i think i don't have i have a, I have the essential i don't have the issues in front of me but uh, yeah, but it's all I one have... series right i mean what difference does it make <laughs> yeah i have the epic collection which was still available uh, late last year, maybe when I picked it up on uh, Amazon or somewhere like that, it was it was you know at a pretty good discount too, and still available on there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it is right now, but I was just like, wow, I, I'm definitely going to grab this. So I grabbed three or four maybe essentials over a course of a couple of months, and this was one of them. Oh, absolutely love this character. He's nice. I, I understand you know maybe a couple of things in 2022 vision might be a little problematic, but for the time, if you put on your 19 you know 73 goggles, it's a it's a good comic and it was, you know, of its time. And I can still look back on it and have a lot of fun reading these stories. And especially when uh, the stories include a uh, villain, like uh, the person he's pointing at. And, you know, (laughs) speaking of pigeonholing people, you know, anybody that knows our buddy, Professor Allen knows why he's here, you know, (laughs) cats out of the bag. (laughs) So yeah, right in the synopsis here that I'm going to read, it's a a whopping, you know, uh, two sentences on uh, comics.org. Uh, so we can uh, jump right into it on our own after that. But, you know, you know yeah. spoilers, spoilers ahead. You're, you're going to know who the, the surprise supervillain is. So get ready. It's going to be a huge surprise. Now, I know it is for Professor Allen. <laughs> so synopsis. <laughs> Luke Cage is hired to track down some thieves that have stolen company secrets from 
Doctor Doom. Upon complimenting, I'm sorry, completing the job, Luke finds out that Doctor Doom has intentionally skipped town and stiffed him on a $200 payment. <laughs> so that's you know, that's that's pretty much the gist of this one here. But there's you know, a lot more to uh, talk about other than that, I believe. Uh, is there not? Oh yeah. I mean, first uh, of all, to be fair, to be fair, with 40 years of inflation, this is closer to two thousand yep. dollars. So oh, that makes yeah. it a little yep. more legitimate. Okay. <laughs> two hundred dollars. That's a lot of money in nineteen in the mid seventies, man. Especially mm-hmm. for Luke, who, who a lot of times was always getting kind of stiffed on on paying the bills, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. yeah, yep. he had he had his uh, Rockford Files sense of uh, uh, sense of personal finance. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. the the thing that the thing about this about this story that first off, you know, okay, how awesome is that as a setup that Doctor Doom's gonna stiff Luke Cage on two hundred bucks? I mean, that's that is that is so so funny, just and so and and that that it seriously pisses Luke off because two hundred bucks <laughs> is chump change to Doom. It's like that's rent, that's food for Luke, right? So this is very yeah. personal to him. But the thing that is always, I think, sometimes gets overlooked about this story is that, okay, so at this point, this is issue eight. Luke Cage has been published for a little over six months, okay? So this this would be, it's about eight months or so that he's been published. So, and you know, it takes mm-hmm. a little while for feedback to come in about a book and sales figures to come in about a book, right? So if we take a look mm-hmm. at the seven issues that precede this issue, Luke Cage, despite the fact that it says Marvel Comics Group in big letters on the cover, is not interacting with the Marvel Universe. If you look at the first seven issues, in issues one and two, we get Luke's origin breaking out of Seagate, and he fights Diamondback, who people um, uh, will strike her. For those who watch the Netflix show, you're familiar with Diamondback. The third issue has him fighting Gideon Mace, one of my favorites, because the guy's name is Mace. And one of his hands has been removed and replaced with a, wait for it, mace. Mace. And sword. That, hey, sword. That, <laughs> oh, that, hammer. That, oh, yeah. Mace. And, oh. That, and that mace also sprays chemical mace. <laughs> now, <laughs> see, now, now you're just making stuff up, Luke. No, I would like to say I am not making that up. Um, <laughs> issue four, he tangles with a character called the Phantom of 42nd Street. Issue five. Mm-hmm. Issue five cross paths with Ooh. another another character people be familiar with from the Netflix show Black Mariah, who was just Love called it. Mariah obviously on the uh, on the show. Uh, issue six deals with him being uh, hired by a client to investigate a supposedly haunted house, and it's like a personal drama where mm-hmm. it's a family thing, somebody getting stiffed out of an inheritance. And then number seven is actually a Christmas story involving a uh, a homicide bomber that mm-hmm. is uh, terrorizing New York. So even though they are superheroic stories and he does fight villains, he doesn't interact with the Marvel Universe. Mm-mm. And the theory that has been bandied about, and some people, even insiders, I've seen some insiders who were at Marvel, strongly believe that as this was the first solo book for an African-American or, or no, black-skinned character, because there were you know black-skinned characters at Marvel, Black Panther being the most obvious one, but they mm-hmm. hadn't had a title feature yet. No. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there was this that this was them kind of hedging their bets 
that if this came back and there was this big backlash and the book was, you know, just turned turned the wrong way and and it, it didn't sell, that they could just sunset the book. And it's like, OK, he didn't interact with anybody. There's no continuity, nothing to worry about. And so the theory then continues that by this point, six months in, the book was selling well enough and the feedback they were getting must have been positive because now he's going to interact with the Marvel universe and going forward, Luke still primarily until he joins up with iron fist and Chris Claremont comes in primarily stays in his own little corner of New York, you know, but he is clearly part of the Marvel universe. And in addition, he starts showing up in other books, which he hadn't done at that point. So this is very much a turning point for the character of Luke Cage. And so it's very important because it was also demonstrative to Marvel to say that, hey, some of these books where we're trying some new types of leads, where we're looking to other genres to rip things, I mean, to inspire things, right? We're going to get some books. We're going to get a Kung Fu book or a couple of Kung Fu books. We're going to get a book with an Asian character in the lead. We're going to get books with women in the lead. We can try some of this stuff because we did it with this black character and it worked out okay. And, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes they did it and it didn't like there was a um, black Goliath had a solo book that lasted all the three issues before it was canned because it got, it wasn't that the, the, the readers didn't like having a black hero. They just didn't particularly like Bill Foster as the hero. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it, it's, and again, that, um, and I, I know I'll get off my soapbox, I promise. But I think sometimes <laughs> the book of Luke Cage gets, oh, that was just, you know, white guys trying to write black characters and it's all trash. And it's like, okay, yes, it is a little odd with a bunch of white writers writing a, 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 a an African-American character in the seventies and trying to talk jive and all that. But it came from a place of trying to be diverse. It came from a place of trying to be representative, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. yeah, okay, they they did the best they could. Could it have been better? Absolutely. Most books could be better. And this book would eventually get some African-American Afri creators on it, and it really would get that voice. But, mm -hmm. you know, they had enough faith in it to, even though they weren't sure, eventually came became part of the wider world. And like I said, we now have, you know, two seasons of a Luke Cage uh, prestige format TV series, for crying out loud. You know, yeah, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But also, mm -hmm. I, th I think this idea of of, you know, letting the letting the character be on their own for a few uh, before a few issues before you bring in the uh, bring in the guest stars, the very standard stuff in comics, especially here in the mm -hmm. 70s. You know, you're oh, looking yeah. to, to boost sales and, you know, for D.C., you know, this was Superman's job. I mean, he showed up in third or fourth issue of Black Lightning, for an example. You know, maybe now it would be Batman or Harley Quinn. But I think the important lesson here is that at Marvel, at this time, I mean, frankly, at any time, their biggest name is Doctor Doom. And, <laughs> you know, and clearly that's why they're bringing in the heavy hitters. I mean, sure, in these two issues, you've got uh, a Flame Boy, Big ugly rock monsters, stretchy McButt face, and the lovely Sue Storm. But those were just cover. Those were narrative excuses for bringing in the real draw of this issue. Mm -hmm. Oh, Martin. absolutely. Yep. Absolutely <laughs> agree. Completely agree with that assessment. <laughs> so, all right. Well, what do you think of this splash page, though, here? Crescendo. And we see Luke smashing his desk. What is how great is that splash page? Oh, it's beautiful. You know, it's it's a yeah. it's a you know jive talking motherless candidate for the psycho hatch. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it. it's hard to beat that. Come on. <laughs> no. But it and it's so you know th- this is the thing. Luke's little office above the uh, the Gem Theater movie theater on Forty yeah. Second Street, and it it should note. So 42nd Street in the 70s, this is all what we now call Grindhouse, right? So this is this is not a good neighborhood. The Gem Theater is the one theater that's still showing old westerns because uh, D.W. Griffith, who is Luke's friend, who's the proprietor, his I think it's his uncle owns the theater. D.W. shows up on uh, on page three um, that, you know, he he's his he doesn't want to show the, the, the Grindhouse exploitation. So they just show old westerns all the time. This actually does come up in some some issues, <laughs> uh, but I I love this and Luke, so Luke getting mad and smashing his office was a uh, a recurring trope. Uh, the other recurring trope we don't we don't get it here was that the coffee machine never worked. Uh, he had one of those coffee vending machines that would mm-hmm. spit the cup out and then do the coffee and it never worked right. <laughs> kind of like the ice cream machines at McDonald's, you know, they just it yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> never working. <laughs> no, not. But at just all, bring so. you it brings you right in. Luke's mad about stumping. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I understand, too. It's like he was pissed off a lot, too. So people kind of try to throw rocks at it and say, oh, he's always angry because, you know, they don't know how to write a black man. They think they're always angry. But I, I just think Luke was just, you know, when things were going cool, he, he was not always pissed off and miserable and smashing stuff. But he no. definitely always had his guard up that if something like, you know, screwed him over. Yeah, he was pissed off about it. Well, guess what? So am I, too. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, it's, yeah. um, you know, um, I was going to say uh, uh, Christopher Priest, when he was writing uh, as, under as a under Jim Osley, uh, ha- did a took this down beautifully right at the end of the series. It's issue 123, um, where Luke goes and is like threatening somebody for information, doing his, you know, normal way that, that he would try and intimidate people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. And then. Like after that, we get Luke's inner monologue where he says, wow, they didn't buy my loud, angry Negro act. And so it's like part of this was an affectation that Luke was this big, intimidating, muscular black dude. Right. Uh And so it's like part of his job was to play into the expectations. Right. So he would do that. So it's like there was there, you know, and again, yeah, that's a bit of a retcon, but I'm I'm willing to work with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he does do like a bit of a recap here of the last couple of, uh, you know, uh, storylines that went on in the book. Uh, not yep. quite up like up to the, the bomber there on Christmas, but pretty much everything else that went on. And he, I do love to how <laughs> they portray some of these characters kind of like they were back then and kind of like they still are now. You know how he uh, goes out and uh, DW brings in this guy, this uh, 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 sleazy kind of uh uh, underhanded businessman here that wants to hire Luke for a job. And, you know, he kind of looks like he's, he's got his, uh, uh, you know, back then, you know, $200 suit on, you know, and, uh, Luke's like, listen, I don't have time for you, pal. And he sees one of the guys that, uh, has, uh, been harassing him and like almost, I think, tried to kill him. And so he goes chasing after that guy. And I love it. It, The the guy kind of thinks he's evaded him and, uh, he doesn't, it's, it's great. And the two of them get into a fist fight. I love that. Yeah. When he when he meets the guy in the suit, there's a great, a great bit of dialogue here because D.W. says, sorry, Cage, but I think you'll want to see this cat because he wants to hire him. And um, and, uh, you know, Cage says, uh, you know, uh, fine, you done it. The same referring to meeting him. He says, now say goodbye. Got me a personal score on the fire. Ain't no way you can outdraw that even with Deuce's Wild. 
and the uh, guy in the hat says, ha, you are, you are colorful, just as I was told you would be. And Luke's response, no, man, I'm me. You're the dude that's colorful. Because <laughs> 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 he's, I mean, I've got, I mean, he's wearing, like I said, the three-piece suit. He's got the jaunty hat. He's got the tie. He's got the the flower in his lapel. It's like, no, man. <laughs> he's, don't the forget color. the matching pocket square. Oh, we got to have the yeah. pocket square sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a fantastic scene and yeah there's a like i said there's a big action scene when he chases this guy down oh. and they fight and wow cr- crazy fight scene with these two i mean tusca is so in his element here um, mm-hmm. i think it's page page five when the guy tackles him and we get a foom yeah. always fun to get a foom but mm-hmm. then luke slaps him with his uh, with his left hand, just slaps the guy, and almost like Jim Apollo, he slaps him. He slaps him so hard his face explodes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then, uh, but then at the bottom of the page, I, I mean, again, Tusk again sometimes gets grief for his faces and stuff. When he punches Luke in the jaw, and he breaks his hand, the <laughs> look on his face in the last panel, the the shock of holding his broken hand with the the pain lines shooting out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great, and that's that is one of those tropes for Luke Cage, right? Is that you know he's not mm-hmm. like the Hulk or one of the other super strong characters. You know, there, there's somebody that shows up. You know, the ever loving blue eyed rock monster um, that you don't think he as a you know he looks like just a man, right? And then you punch him and break your own hand type of thing. But uh, and then yeah, th- but this this fight sequence is is just really really solid, and Tuska does a great job on it. And um, I said, having Billy Graham do the inking, it's got some really nice moody blacks in it for sure because they're fighting in the alleyway here. Mm-hmm. Really nice sequence. Yeah. What do you think of that, Professor? And I'm thinking, you know, at, at what point are people going to learn that Luke does have, you know, unbreakable skin, unbreakable bones? Like, I'm wondering, haven't have the people in Cage's neighborhood not read the first seven issues? I think that's that's I think that's their main strategic mistake. Well, distribution was spotty. Distribution distribution was spotty. spotty. The other thing you got to remember is that, you know, Cage is operating out of Midtown Manhattan. And we all know Manhattanites are like, eh, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as as the old. And again, as a a New Yorker, doesn't count. Yeah. As a New Yorker by birth. Let me say, remember that if God decided that New Yorkers could have one word to say for the rest of their life, that word would be so. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So good dialogue here, though. I like how this guy that, you know, has already broken his hand and saw that a knife can't cut through Cage's skin. He just keeps trying to hack away at him, stab him. And he says, I'm Georgie Sims and I'm bad. <laughs> He tries to stab him again and breaks his knife. Yep. <laughs> That's great. And then Luke's Luke's response, because Georgie says, I'll cut you from ear to toenail, man. I will. I will. <laughs> and Cage whomps him on the head and says, Georgie, you couldn't cut school. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, again, I, I know. I know. I get it. But Luke Cage is just cool. You know, mm-hmm. and he and he's he's allowed to be cool in a way that that some Marvel heroes weren't allowed to be cool back then. I mean, that's that's just funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we do get a recurring character here. This uh, German lady that lives in an apartment. She's uh, uh, already uh, popped up before in a couple of issues where she, you know, uh, sticks her head out the window and yells about all the racket going on out there. And yeah. 
uh, you know, she, uh, she has her, her German accent Billy, here. It's, it's the racket. Why all yeah. this racket? Yeah. People, people are trying to relax. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, is that, I mean, I, I guess if the, I you're going to stereotype everybody, you're stereotyping everybody. That, I, well, I think that, that sort of makes it okay, right? I mean, that that's the thing, too, is that not only are they German, I mean, at, at least the, the wife here is Jewish. Because <laughs> in the last panel, she appears and she says, oh, such a quiet, friendly Schwarze boy. And it's yeah. like, so Schwarze. Well, yeah, Vata Dal, but but Schwarze is uh, is is Yiddish for black, and that is what a what a, a Jew that speaks uh, Yiddish would would refer to an African American as a Schwarze. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh man, I I that amazes me. First time I read this because you know seeing the ver- seeing the word Schwarze in a Marvel comic, it's like there's a lot of Yiddish that pops up in Marvel comics. All right, there was a lot of Jews working in the bullpen back in the back in the sixties, and that's that's great. I mean, that's part of the character, the New York character of Marvel, right? It's still kind of are you, little little surprising. Are, are you reading the physical issue, Luke? I've got the uh, the essential here. Okay, because the one I'm looking at says, "Oh, such a quiet, friendly young man." Mm-hmm. You should have they, seen him, Julius. Vada Dal. Oh, yeah, it they, says on mine. It says, "Oh, such a quiet, friendly Schwarze boy." Yeah, they changed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they changed it in, yeah. the, in the the epic collection here as well. Yep. At at, <laughs> at 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 some point in the reprint process. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm not, I, I'm not maybe, surprised. Maybe I don't. I'm not. And and Bill, feel free to cut this out. Could young boy be seen as a racial thing, and Schwarze boy not? Well, it's a young man. Yeah. Young man. Okay. I, 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 young man is what I'm seeing in mind. Okay. Yeah. Well, so cool. they say Schwarze boy. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised though. Probably you know. I mean, I know. I mean, she's she's calling him a boy because he's he's a young man, right? So that's that's right. you know. I mean, that may <laughs> have been more offensive. Though it may have been the boy that was the offensive part. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, she's probably twice his age. So I tell yeah. people that all the time. I say you're a kid, and when people are you know like <laughs> 20 years old, 25 years old, and they're not really a kid, but to me they are. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, Georgie, Georgie took off, and Luke's uh, still trying to follow him and see what's going on here. And uh, eventually, he gives up and he goes to see his uh, lady friend here uh, to get his uh, costume sewn up because uh, he keeps ripping costumes. <laughs> I like that yeah. too. There's always this, this play going on of he needs help with the costumes because he's constantly going through costumes, getting blown up and stabbed and shot and everything else. <laughs> there, there is a there is a great, great line. It's somewhere in the 20s or 30s. I think it's in the 30s. I think it's when he's dealing with the the controller and the who is the controller fight the Baron or something like that. And he's laments at one because man. I haven't had any luck since that time I found that place that sells these yellow shirts so cheap. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, Claire, but Claire Temple, that's his uh, ongoing love yep. interest early mm-hmm. on here. Eventually, mm-hmm. Claire does uh, does move on. Uh, but she, right now, she uh, she is the nurse for Dr. Bernstein. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, actually, no, I take it back. She's she's a doctor. She's working in the in the same clinic. The clinic. Is. The clinic, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, that, and this is the yeah, and this is the only time that he'll go back to you know th- this is like the only one from his old life that he has anything to do with, right? So because mm-hmm. Cage, that that's something else that at this era of Cage, that's a little bit different than what some people might know. Cage is not the hero of Harlem, 
like he's often portrayed in, in more modern stories. Cage lives and stays in Midtown Manhattan, doesn't yeah. go uptown because he is afraid that someone from his old life is going to recognize him because mm, he's still right. an escaped convict at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still a wanted man. I mean, they do think um, <clears throat> they did think that he got uh, killed when he escaped yep. the prison at one point. But, you know, obviously he, his face is going to get out there when he's doing all this stuff out there in public. So he is always wary of uh, someone finding out that he's still alive and they're going to like yep. try to get him and take him back to prison. <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, oh, he meets up with his buddy here again, Mr. Uh, uh, Ty and uh uh, <laughs> it's the, three-piece the, suit. yeah 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 and meets up with him again and he's like oh no not you again and he's like oh come on man he's like i have a job for you uh, it's a simple job for a man of your talents and i will two hundred dollars a day come on hundred bucks in case 200 and he's like okay i'll do it <laughs> just yeah. to get you off my back mm-hmm Yep, and, and then you know, yeah, yep. I like that that scene there on that page, the next page where he's you know, you know, trying to ask some questions here, there, and everywhere in some uh, shadier spots. I love that. So yeah, so two things here: when he when he meets with the guy and he agrees to work for him, the guy tells him that he has to. The rumor is that these four men are hiding out, and he says Bedford Stuyvesant, a mm-hmm. part of the city. And Cage interrupts and says, "Yeah, a ghetto. I know a ghetto." So again, mo- most people would would know as Bed-Stuy, which was very well known at this point, especially as uh, a, a rougher part Rough, of, yeah. of town and, and, and known as a, again, it's a pejorative term, but it was in fact a ghetto at this time. And I think Bed-Stuy has gone through a bit, I'm not 100% sure, so I may be completely wrong, but I think Bed-Stuy has gone through a bit of gentrification like a lot of the old rougher areas uh, had in New York. But again, that that is very much a topical reference when this book is mm-hmm. public. Oh, now yeah. on that yeah, and this, like I said, on the next page, when he's going and meeting all of his informants, a very common scene, especially around Luke, had a whole network of stooges mm-hmm. and informants and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, flunkies and all that. I love the news agent, the guy at the newsstand, because mm-hmm. first off, he looks so disinterested. I love that. Mm-hmm. But then all the all the magazines. OK, so in mine, it's got, you know, the magazines you can read the titles of are movie, dolls, hit weird comics and sex <laughs> I, I love that one of them says sex and you can clearly see it's like a girl in a bikini on the cover right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. he in the, the caption box says the grabbers the slow-eyed boys looking for the fast money the night walkers <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah he he like you said he had this whole network of people that uh he could go to and uh find out what's going on and he does get a hot tip and he shows up at their uh, hideout here and kicks the door in and just, you know, starts right away, you know, throwing leather and <laughs> he starts punching and kicking and they try to shoot him, try to stab him. And uh, eventually they realize like, hey, this isn't going to work. But he punches one of them and he realizes it's a robot. And that's uh, where we start to uh, turn down a different alleyway here. Do we not, Professor? <laughs> mm-hmm. This is uh this is the crossover everyone was looking for. Luke Cage robot fighter. <laughs> Can you imagine Luke Cage wearing that little mini that little mini dress and go-go boots like Magnus Robot Fighter used to wear? Actually, I think I could. Actually, I'd like to yeah, see I think it. I can. I'd like I to mean, see it. Can you, you imagine the friction between his thighs? I mean, as big as his legs are, you know? It's like, dude, get some bike shorts or something, please. 
Mm. <laughs> I mean, what is this spit? This cat's a robot. Yeah. The artwork okay. here, the artwork here is just great. When he punches the run robot's yes. face off with the yeah. crack, mm-hmm. again, the, the look on his face where it's anger and confusion, right? Because mm-hmm. he's mad because he's in a fight for his life. And it's like, and but you can see the confusion too with the cocked eye and all that. And uh-huh. then uh, later on, or the last panel where the other robot drops the machinery on him and the the, the impact on his back and all that. It's just, again, it's very dynamic. And th- this team, I said, of Tuscan and Graham, they do great stuff with this story, just with the, the visual aspect of this. I really do enjoy this. Mm, yeah, I love his uh, dialogue there as well. After he punches the robot's face off, he's looking at it and he goes, what is this spit? <laughs> 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 this cat's a robot. I love it. Oh, man. But here it doesn't take long. You know, the, the, the three robots uh, take off and he's like, you know, still a little groggy from the equipment getting dropped on him. And he goes to see another one of his uh, informants. You know, it's a, a lady at a, a switch operator and he's trying to figure something out here. You know, she he, she says phone number and he says it's against, you know, Ma Bell's policy. But, yeah. For a steak dinner, I can do it for an address, you know. And he's offering steak dinners now to get information. And yeah, you got you got two hundred bucks, right? He's yeah, got well, two hundred bucks to spend. So yeah, it was I, a steak dinner like, back then. Fifteen bucks, yeah. ten bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I I do like also. It's the second the second uh, reference to Bell Telephone in this issue because mm-hmm. at the beginning he pulls the, the phone book, the, which the is holding book, up a corner. Right. He puts it to hold up a corner of the desk. <laughs> yeah that's, kinda, for that's our, really for cool. our younger listeners back in the day you used to have a phone <laughs> that was connected to the wall okay and <laughs> at one point there was one company that ran all of it okay so <laughs> and there was a thing called a phone book that was as thick as you know <laughs> all get out when that's and how you, you sat on numbers. it when you were too short to read to sit at the chair at the dinner table type of thing so <laughs> <laughs> so he finds out that uh where he needs to go is an embassy. Uh, they don't say which embassy here, but an embassy. So he mm. comes in and, you know, mm. there's all these shady types and uh, all that. And he's like, you know, I, I'm heading in here. And <laughs> he yells to the one guy, hey, Tubby. And we <laughs> see it's our our three-piece suit guy. And uh, he's, uh, you know, yells over to him like, you know, hey, you know, uh, I, I need some answers here, pal. And he says, move your mouth or I'll, <laughs> I'll remove your teeth. And all of a sudden... <laughs> We uh, we get someone yelling from the other side of the room. Stop. Leave that man alone. No one man handles a loyal subject of Dr. Doom. What a panel. We have we have just gone down. We we have turned this bad boy up to 11 at this point. Yeah. And that, that is some is, pretty huh? great capage going on yes. behind him. Excellent. Capage. Oh, yeah. And that this, this is the Rubicon. Right, we have now crossed the Rubicon. There is the mm-hmm. point of no return. When when we you are get in Marvel shout- Comics now, yeah, you get into a <laughs> shouting match with Doctor Doom at the Latvian Embassy. It's like, yep, <laughs> <laughs> Luke Cage, Doctor, what? Come on, man, man, I love it. First, look, I, 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 I love Cage, but is he really going to judge someone else's fashion sense? That's yeah, the sure. only thing. No one walks around <laughs> well, with a tin can on his face. Oh, come on. Come on, he, Luke. I mean, he he really, to me, when he <laughs> says that, he, sat, he um, you know, 
he sounds like Stephen A. Smith for anybody that watches ESPN. You know, and uh, nobody walks around with a tin can on his face and a jive name like that. And it's like, and, uh, and, and doom to his credit, he no sells it completely. He doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get angry. He just no sells it. It's like, I do Mr. Cage, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The person he does talk back to is the the guy coming up. "Uh, Sire, I silence you incompetent worm. So yeah. you know, he's not, so I mean, he, but, but he's not, you know, that is not directed at Cage. That's directed at the right. miscellaneous Latverian flunky. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, he, and, and he clears the room out to have a mano a mano chit chat. Oh, and it's great and too. Yeah. It's, it's that, incredible. But the, yeah. And that, that first panel where it's, where it's just the two of them, Doom says the theory that I've heard positive. Did you expect to gain superhuman powers and stay within your limited world of petty hoodlums and petty crimes? Mm-hmm. So it's again, it, it's kind of it's it, again the the theory I said that that was put in that Angler put that in is kind of like an editorial comment that yeah. did you really think if we were going to do this if you could just you know de- tell tell these little little stories in uh, in in Manhattan about fighting hoods and stuff? No, you're you're part of the Marvel universe now, pal. We're live, brother. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah well what about that next uh panel there professor there's some uh good uh doom dialogue there too you are here because you have discovered that, that my enemies are robots but dr doom has long used robots that is true now i don't like here in the next line he mm. uses a curse word he uses an yep. f word here the f bomb seems yep. fantastic to you is commonplace to me and i just i just don't like doom using harsh language like like the f yeah. word Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and since becoming a hero for hire was your choice, your surprise at the bazaar is truly comedic. <laughs> I love Doom Smack Talk. He's great at it. <laughs> mm, just why and, did you and, hire me, Doom? It's great. <laughs> and, you know, he explains Latveria does not have a lot of black subjects in it. He does not have a, lo- a lot of uh, a lot of folks with uh, uh, African heritage in his country. And when these robots fled America, they disguised themselves as black men. So he thought he would need, I mean, he probably, what he probably said was, I need a gentleman of African American descent mm-hmm. in order to hire him. And or Luke Cage, that just probably just got shortened to, I needed a black. Oh, 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 I, that's got to be a translation error. That's the only thing mm. I can say. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to edit to fit things into the end of the word balloons. That's that's a tough one. Mm. But let me let me let me stay here. And, and he says, you know, no one wants to emigrate to Latveria. But mm. there is a second way to think about this as well. And that is that Latveria evidently was not a colonialist power. But some of the European countries that have populations with folk with African heritage, I'm not saying all, but a chunk of that population will often come from former African and Caribbean colonies. Mm-hmm. So it's not altogether a negative factor against Latveria that they don't have many black folk there. It's at least partially 
a result of not being what we would think of as an evil global colonial power. So there. And it also means they don't have an African-American underclass there. I'm not defending every single policy the country has ever engaged in, but it's just not as bad as the folk at hashtag big comic would have you think. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Fantastic. But, you know, he eventually, you know, convinces Cage to just basically do the job he's paying him to do, even though Cage is like, well, I don't really like it, but I'll do it. And <laughs> Doom's like, here, here's the address where you can find these uh, these uh, robots. So please go there and take care of them and get my, you know, secrets back, you know, whatever they supposedly stole from him. I don't know if it's supposed to be military stuff or whatever, but, you know, Cage does track them down. And I really love that. Well, well uh, no, let's let's not let's let's not move on too quickly, because this this is part of Latveria's significant outreach to black-owned business owners. Again, 50-plus <laughs> years ago, could be. this is some very early and progressive thinking, and I think Doom deserves some praise for his open-mindedness and commitment to diversity here. I'm just saying. Okay? Okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, we might not still feel that way at the end of the issue here, but we'll see, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got some more really, really good action scenes here coming up uh, with Tuska and Billy Graham. I mean, Cage finds them and it, it, this brawl ensues between him oh, and yeah. three robots. And this, again, it's really good action scenes here. And that's absolutely the right word as a brawl. I do like the uh, bottom of uh, the next page where uh, Cage lights a match. It's mm. awful quiet and dark. Make a dandy spot for an ambush, and then he's ambushed. <laughs> and, and I do like the the robot appears to be um, one robot Su- is tackling him, suplexing from the him. front. Yeah, but the other one appears to be German suplexing him. So there's somebody <laughs> else. I imagine there's a group of other robots going suplex city, suplex yeah. city. You know that kind of thing. So and there's another one just watching in the background. There, that's like right. He's like yeah. getting his wrestling lesson here. Yeah. But no, but just, I mean, it, it's its what we would eventually learn from Batman the Animated Series, right? Is that if you have robots, you can pound the hell out of them and no one cares because Absolutely. they're not Absolutely. Right? So, I mean, he just up the place. And, uh, and this is funny, too. There, there's a, a shot at the top of two pages over when uh, um, it is, when the it's with the, di- the robot yelling, Teratus, Terry, where the Teratus, or Terry, he apparently has stolen Iron Man's britches because that looks a lot like the way that George Tuska would draw Iron Man's trunks and power pack on his hips. No, oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> flying towards us. It's like, oh, he's a robot. Yeah, he's kind of like Iron Man. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good uh, a lot of good sound effects. Crom. So I don't know if Conan's, you know, one of these uh, uh, robots here. I never here. prayed to you before. I have no <laughs> tongue for it. No one, not even you, should know if we were good men or bad. <laughs> Blang, and we get a pimp pimp slap here. Clung, yeah, the clung. I like mm. the slam and the punt on the next page. Yes. Kick to the face, punt. Yeah, it's a very very tiny Titans type of uh, sound effect. Uh, mm-hmm. you know. And it continues. the The brawl continues, and the sound effects continue as well. As uh, one run robot uh, hits Luke over the head with a, a two by four here, and rack. Yep. One kicks him in the face. Clop, although clop, you know, a little 
reference here to uh, some uh, Premier League. We don't know. Klopp. Yeah. got to watch that. <laughs> I, I like the choom right before that, too, when the, when the uh, robot gets thrown into that yeah. like, trash cans or whatever that is. I mean, the, odd, the, the sound effects are great, but look at this. I mean, this sequence runs like one, two, three, four, five, you know, almost five pages and a little bit. Okay, because there's mm-hmm. a couple of panels on the sixth page. Uh, yeah. the, the one one of the things that that I you know an exercise that I read about many years ago and I tried to do is look at an artist and see if you can follow the story just through their storytelling. Don't read the words; just look at the art visually. Yeah, the visual storytelling here from Tuska and Graham is dead on. Everything you need to know is conveyed here. You don't need to read anything. I mean, the sound effects, fine, but the dialogue and the captions, you don't need any of it to get everything you need from this sequence. And to me, that is one of Tuska's strengths. Again, whether you like his finishes or anything like that, um, his, his faces, whatnot, I've always thought his storytelling was superlative. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think it's a yeah. good example of it in this sequence. Because like you said, you really can follow the details, the 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 ballet choreography of the fight scene absolutely you can see yeah. what's happening yeah in in what order things are happening in mm-hmm. yeah so the cage you know finishes off the robots and he goes blasting out of there and thinks to himself okay doom i saved your freaking secrets you got your money's worth you piece of crud and <laughs> he, he goes <laughs> flying you know as fast as he can run 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 over to the embassy and he shows up and a man is at the door and says, you must be Mr. Cage. My sovereign left you a message. His mechanical spy eye witnessed your victory and he applauds your actions. But Dr. Doom pays no money when he can avoid it. He closed the embassy and departed for our homeland not five minutes ago, sir. <laughs> Cage freaks out. <laughs> Look, uh, uh, you know, uh, Billy, I, I, I know you try to avoid politics mm-hmm. on this program. I'm just going to say in general, wouldn't it be refreshing if we had politicians who paid no money when they could afford it, when mm-hmm. when, when they could avoid it, I mean, yes. that's personally, that's what I want in a politician, a uh, tight fiscal grasp. Cheap, yeah. On the, fu- now, I, you know, that's one approach, Billy. That's one <laughs> word you could use. <laughs> Thrifty, austere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> considerate of your taxpayers, maybe. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, Cage. I, he's just like flexing, pissed off. He he's he says he's he's coming for Doom, and next issue from here to Latveria. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know it basically it continues right into uh, Heroes for Hire nine May nineteen seventy three, and uh, we get a Billy Graham cover here, and the interior uh, we get a script again Steve Englehart. And the same uh, team of George Tuska, penciler, Billy Graham, inker, Stan Goldberg, colors, and uh, letters by Denise Wall. And uh, okay, so uh, what about this cover here? This is this is the cover everybody thinks of, I think, when they think of this story here, right? Showdown with Doctor Doom. I have to say, I'm a little less enamored of it. Just there's something about the angles or the positioning. It's a little blocky, mm-hmm. but the but. The I like the the I like I think Cage looks great. I think Cage looks great in the way that he's reacting and the his body position and the you know he's being he's being uh, blasted 
by mm-hmm. uh, Doom's Finger Gauntlets. Um, I like I, I I like the cage half of the half of the uh, the piece more than the Doom part. Something about the positioning or the proportions that's eating at me just a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, maybe in the shoulder area there. It kind of looks a little wonky. Yeah, yeah, I'm not could sure. Be, could be just something. Yeah, there's something about the distances and the angles and something that that isn't working proportionally for me. But that's pretty minor. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's you know, I think it's a more more traditional cover than yeah. than uh, the cover to issue eight. But I like the cover to issue eight better. That this one kind of just. This, this to me makes me think it's more of a standard Marvel cover from the era, right? You know, so it's good. Yeah. I like it, but I prefer the other one. The other one is a bit has a bit more uh, catches the eye, a bit more just from the mystery aspect. I think. I I I also know one thing I do like on this cover of issue nine is in the background you have a DC crossover of a robot man from the Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. There's two robots lurking in the background there. <laughs> very orange, very orange robots there. And, mm. you know, but I do want to say this, you know, that, and, you know, there's there's some silliness about these stories, obviously, but one of the things I do like about Luke Cage, and it sounds silly, but I'm serious, is that it's a really cool example in modern comics maybe the most consistent example or realistic example of the small businessman the entrepreneur and as insane as this story is one of the hardest things for any small business owner actually is billing and collecting i mean mm-hmm. i'm just saying that is, <laughs> is one of the issues so changes circumstances here are very identifiable so <laughs> uh, which is why this podcast episode is sponsored by QuickBooks. Use the promo code magazines yeah. Billy D for twenty percent off. <laughs> oh man, if I could get sponsors, I would start <laughs> lending myself out tomorrow. <laughs> the the phones are the phone lines are always open. Anybody that wants to throw me a couple of bucks, bring bring it on. <laughs> Again, I mean, as 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 Luke can tell you, there is some insanity in the cage stories but there is a really weird grounding to them just the location i think this sort of pi you know concept yeah yeah the equivalent the hero for hire concept is so cool Mm -hmm. i mean it it it, that's why i mean it, it worked so well that i mean in it essentially ran for 150 or 125 issues yeah, yeah. And became and and, and they came back years. several times, yeah, over the years yep. with different mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, uh, talking about you know what this issue contains uh, again, comics.org, fantastic. The synopsis: Luke Cage travels to Latveria <laughs> to collect two hundred dollars that Doctor Doom owes him. <laughs> yep, that's pretty. I mean, what happens with, here, right? <laughs> I mean, was uh. It's the Grand Comics database. Are, are they are are they working under uh, you know Twitter? Uh, you know uh, uh, limitations. Yeah. Are they trying to do a? Are they trying to do haikus? Yeah, uh, I don't know. They're definitely not paid by the characters. work. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably all salaried. <laughs> let me let me see how many of these synopses I can knock out in an afternoon. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, Luke Cage, though. Here we go. This this first page, though. I love this. He's no dummy right away. He's like, okay, I've heard of this Doom guy, and I know who has the most experience uh, with this Doom guy. So he goes to seek out the frightful four, or are they called? I, whoever yeah. these guys are. <laughs> family of four troublemakers. Mm-hmm. That wear their blue underwear on the outside of their rocky orange skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> where angels fear to tread. <laughs> Love it. Good name here, right, Luke? <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. That's not bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's yeah. fighting but them. Th- this, he's fighting them. But he fights, fight, tangles with the the first family here. This is what I was referring to. This sequence. I mean. Look at, you know, Reed Richards, Medusa, even Ben. They don't look as cool as Luke Cage does with Tuska's nope. drawing. I don't know no. if it's because they wear traditional costumes. I don't know if it's because they're, you know, you know, big time superheroes. I don't know what it is, but it's like, I mean, th- there are some great FF artists. Great FF artists. George Tuska is, from the example here, probably not one of them. And and again, and that's the same as a Tuska fan, but I yeah. can see if I got an issue of FF and George Tuska's on it and it looks all like this, I'm like, oh, this is a little rough. I've got to say on, on the next page, the bottom left, there's a panel with of uh, of 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 the big orange rock guy. And it is not good. Yeah, it is not good. No. Yeah, that, that's not awesome. It, like you said, Luke Cage, he looks great in all these yeah. pages and panels. He looks fantastic, but. Yeah, maybe it was just, you know, something that resonated with him to draw it and not really uh not really these other four uh uh goons. <laughs> I hate to say it, but Reed's not bad. Reed's not bad. Yeah, he looks okay. But the other ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Fairly maybe generic. it's maybe it's uh you know, when you get into that more fantastical side of comic books, uh, you know, that's just simply not his strength. Mm-mm. Yeah, I love how too. you know, it, it, once they kind of stop punching for a minute and Luke says why he's there and what he wants to accomplish, uh, they're 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 fine. They're like, oh, OK, now we hear what you want to do. Uh, cool. Here's one of our ships that cost, you know, <laughs> millions of dollars. And it took how long to, uh, you know, uh, make a schematic and build and all that stuff. I just have one of them knowing, you know, it could probably get smashed. Except. Here's the thing. In this story, let's be honest. There are some panels where Dooms, some of his, uh, some of his, his language is borderline problematic. <laughs> bottom of that, bottom of that page too. Come on, Johnny. He's insensitive yeah. at best, and at worst, uh, this is this is borderline problem when he's saying i need to travel the subway is right around the corner pal and if you're looking for some spare change ow i know Mm. he's the quippy guy in the in the crowd but that one's to me that one's a little more cringy than some of doom's comments that's uh, yeah yeah, i don't know i don't know about that one and and wasn't he uh and and wasn't johnny supposed to be a bit more progressive because he was going to school or something too yeah i guess so i guess he's just trying to he's trying trying to say something funny you know, trying to be the quippy guy, but oof. 
it's it's like the yeah. opposite of like when that it's like the opposite of that issue where uh, Green Arrow wants Black Lightning to join the Justice League. Mm. <laughs> you know, and he's like being way too into it kind of thing, you know, and it's like, okay, Ollie, tone it down a little bit here, man. It's it's getting kind of weird, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I do love that he, he immediately takes off, though, and he's like, you know, I, I'm coming yeah. for my 200 bucks. <laughs> I love yeah. it. It probably costs, you know, three times that in jet fuel to get over there, but I want my 200. Uh, to Re- be honest, <laughs> I, am, uh, I mean, we don't see it. But I'm sure behind, between the panels, Reed has got to bill him for, I don't know, it's got, you know, like you said, uh, it's got to be $2,500 minimum for the yeah. strip to, <laughs> to collect this 200 yeah. And this is not yeah. a money-making proposition. This is about, this is about pride. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, barely gets sure. in the Latvian airspace here, and uh, this giant uh, effigy of doom appears in the sky and uh, zaps his uh, plane and... He thinks it's a Fantastic Four, of course. So he brings the plane down with his uh, crazy tractor beam. To be fair, protecting your airspace is a reasonable thing to do. This is not evidence of doom being out of line. Come on. Yep, air Mm -hmm. superiority. Air superiority is a is a a, a, a traditional military tactic. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the plane hits the ground, Cage comes out fist flying and just starts punching the crap out of everybody (laughs) that he can see. It's great. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And and yes, he he, again, more more brawling. But what I love is that for a story that's ostensibly ostensibly about Luke Cage has his name on the front and all that, you know, um, we get some uh, we get some Dr. Doom heavy stuff in here. Right. I mean. This yeah. is because I mean, because uh, all this stuff is from Doctor Doom's solo strip, isn't it, Professor? A lot of the this yep. this type of stuff from Astonishing yep. Tales. Yep, exactly. We're getting we're getting all the inner workings of the politics and uh, the resistance. Uh, yeah, the resistance and 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 like you say it's we we get a lot of details here, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, it's great. But like you said, I may yeah. sometimes. Sometimes you need to change the pace from the from the punchy punch. Yeah, no, I I, but I it, like it, but it does it, go deep. Off, it it does been, go deep and and yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, well, but, but again, it, and, yeah, and it also it ties in again with what we're saying. It's like, well, now you're part of the Marvel universe. It's not just yep. so you know. It's not just right. hey, well, th- this is what Black Mariah and Mace did. It's like no, there, there's other stuff going on around you, man. So not yeah. only did you you know you tangle with Doctor Doom. You you now you know introduced yourself to the FF and taken one of their jets. Now it's like oh now now you're in a story that happened in a a uh, an anthology book. It's like mm-hmm. yeah man, you want to know what's going on? You better go buy Astonishing Tales. You know mm-hmm. you don't care about Kazar, you and, care about Doctor Doom. You know that kind of thing. So <laughs> and by the way, welcome to Aliens, Mister Cage. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 you want to break out of your neighborhood. Break out of your uh, break out of your country, break out of your continent. You're gonna yeah. find aliens. You're gonna find the faceless one, the leader of the robotic revolt. <laughs> hmm. Oh, crazy! And the revolt against the tyranny of Doctor Doom. He should bite his tongue. And <laughs> I love I love Cage, Dandy. But you ain't no robot. You're an alien. Quite exactly. correct. <laughs> it's so correct. let's let's just I mean Cage. His mind has got to be being blown big, big time at this point. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, it's the same. Less, it's all about much less the readers of this comic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just assume that Cage is just like, just get your money, man. Just get your money. You don't don't worry about any of this crap. Let's just go get our money. You know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They and they do reference Astonishing Tales one through three, you know, to go basically yep, yep. check that out to mm-hmm. see more of what's mm-hmm. going on here. And you know, Cage and the Resistance here, uh, you know, they're like, "Yep, we're going after it." And they go right into you know, uh, Doom's castle and punch, kick, you know, lasers everywhere, bodies knocked out everywhere. And <laughs> I do love how eventually Cage makes his way. Uh, to the uh, throne room of Dr. Doom here. And greetings, Luke Cage. Dr. Doom bids you enter. And <laughs> here we go. Well, one of the most famous panels of the Bronze Age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when my men reported a crazy black man and the Fantastic Force craft, <laughs> I knew it had to be you. There, there's actually an asterisk there, and it says, or T'Challa. But whatever, you know, it's fine. Um, yep. Where's my money, honey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The good thing so, is, the good thing is, Luke's line is so iconic. You kind of forget what Doom just said in the sentence beforehand. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, so like I said, so in 2005, I got this, and that was the first time I read this, and I just, again, I saw this, and I'm like, are you serious, bro? You know. Um. <laughs> so years later. When that panel starts showing up online, I'd have people ask me about that. Because, like, Luke, you read, you collect Luke Cage, right? It's like, is that real? I'm like, yes. I'm like, no, that's not Photoshopped. I'm like, no, no, that's real. Um, one of my one of my very good friends, Adam, his his wife asked me that because she she's a, a, a comics fan, but she did not necessarily like Bronze Age Marvel. It's like, did they really say those two words? I was like, did they really say those two lines of dialogue? And I said, yes. <laughs> She was like, oh, she was just flabbergasted. And it's like, um, and it's like, you know, hey, it, you know, it's like, where's my money, honey? That's all it boils down to, right? <laughs> and I want doom in the next doom in the next panel. I yeah, mean, as, you as mean much as doom money can look I... shocked. Yeah, money. Yeah. What what money are you, you talking about? The money I owed you for tracking down my you came all the way for a tattoo. You are crazy. A paltry two hundred dollars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then Doom pounds his fist on the table because he says, I thought you were working for Reed Richards. I thought that overrated fool had begun another idiotic attempt to bring me to what he calls justice. (laughs) Finally, Doom utters a line that makes perfect sense and stands up in 2022. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All this for some stupid debt. But you got to respect Cage's attitude. I put in an honest day's work. I expect my bread for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Doom, you sorely try my patience and my renowned good nature, Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Renowned good nature? All right. Sure. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) You want me out? You put me out, Tin Man. You can try. (laughs) And they just start brawling. I love it. And they that the fist fight and the snarky comments again turned up to eleven in the next couple of pages. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, he grabs Luke and uh, I don't know if he's like electrocuting him or something like that. And he says, "This is a sample of the pain my protective armor can inflict." And Luke responds with a left hand in the face. And this is a sample of my fist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. 
Oh, I love it. I mean, you know, it, this um, th- this this sequence again, it's great, and I love seeing Luke Cage and Doctor Doom throwing hands at each other because that's um, there there's something about saying that sentence out loud that just makes it all the more magical, right? <laughs> but the plot twist here with how Luke is able to go over on Doctor Doom. That, to me, is the part of this that's a little hard to swallow, right? <laughs> this is only because this is Cage's comic. D- Doom right. understands. He's, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to help a, help, help a new guy out. Get, they're all Marvel colleagues. When it comes down to it, he understands that. This, this is kind of, uh, we all understand sports, right? Sometimes you need to do things for the good of the whole league, Yep. That's what Doom is doing here. He's he allows Luke to repeatedly punch him over and over and over again in his one weak spot. <laughs> mm, of course, right? <laughs> I like how amidst all this too, then you know, when this is going on, uh the faceless one appears and Doom looks up at him and he says, Yes, who will now commit the act so devoutly longed for many months? I am going to kill you, Doctor. And the next page is absolutely crazy, too. So we have the faceless one here with his uh, little blaster. He's going to start blasting Doom. But Cage is there, too. So, you know, there's a a fly in the ointment. (laughs) Yeah. And again, Cage ends up mixed up in this story, this battle that he has nothing to do with. Right. Then he wants his money. And and it's like, isn't that that the way it always goes? It's like, look, Mm -hmm. man, I'm... I just, I just pay me and I'll be on my way. I don't want nothing to do with this, you know, but now, now he's involved in like, you know, a attempted coup of a, of a, a sovereign nation in Europe. And again, and, and, and doom is trying to figure out where cage fits in. Cause he has to fit in somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. this is a day doom must die, but only because your employee prepared the way. Hey, watch it. Doom. Luke cage ain't working for pretty face there. And so they end up sort of working together to bring down the alien faceless one, which again was probably not on Luke Cage's to-do list this morning. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do love how it turns into like a spider type creature, the faceless one, when uh, he realizes <laughs> things aren't maybe going to go his way. And, you know, Luke Cage is like, man, I just want my money and I want to get out of here. And yeah. Doom walks over to him and says, to your feet, Cage. You can still catch him. And Cage is like, I got no quarrel with him. He could have chilled me and didn't. I'm betting he thought that out, too. Besides, baby, you ain't paid me for the first job yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but again, it's Cage's book. He's a hero, and he he's the one that goes after the faceless one. He says, you know, uh, murder is a gig I don't take kindly to. Now, what about this next page, though? The, the very top panel there, that next page, where Doom laughs i mean i don't know is that a little out of character for him i don't know look look maybe stress stress does strange things to people sometimes Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) but i think the idea of the idea he just can't believe that luke is again here for the two hundred dollars he just what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's the that's the that's the laugh. It is, are you serious? <laughs> Would it do any good for me to try to hire you for this assignment? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, no. And then 
in as a uh, testament to his nobility and strength of character. Doom takes out $200 worth of cash money, Holmes, and <laughs> pays him, pays <laughs> Luke with his dollar-dollar bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did not... He, he did not even try to pay him in in uh, Doom Cash, uh, uh, Doom Coin, Doom Coin, <laughs> yeah. the crypto of Latveria <laughs> that can only be spent at the Doom Fan Club store. No, he actually paid him what appears to be good old fashioned American greenbacks. Yeah. So props to Doom for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is great stuff and. Yeah, you know, just as Cage is taking off, uh, Doom yells to him, follow the path worn in the stone, Cage. No one will molest you. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, kind of a weird choice for words there, Doomy. And he says, it is an escape route known only to myself. Do not look back, Cage. Do not come back. <laughs> so once Cage is out of Doom's hair, then he can finally take on the, uh, the uh, resistance against him. Yes. Yep. And, you know, but it's like he's got his own things going on. And that's, you know, that that's it. You know, the uh, I do like that panel. The last one there after uh, uh, when Cage is leaving and we see as he's leaving, the robots are entering. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah. you could cut you could cut right here to an issue of Astonishing Tales, a supervillain team right. up, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And then okay. it just makes a little footnote of K- of, D- of Doctor Doom's is like now that that now that that crazy American Cage is out of the way, and it's like mm-hmm. curious. See, Luke Cage Power Man, <laughs> she's eight and nine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we I mean we do get a final scene though once he uh, goes back to uh, to New York with the uh, rocket ship. Yeah, with, uh, you know Doom's Doom's buddies here. <laughs> and I do like I do like how Ben. Who ben, ben is, you know, he's a good Jewish boy from Brooklyn, right? So he's worried about Cage. Mm-hmm. I tell you, he's done for. He don't know how to protect himself against Doom like me. He sh- I, he, we should have gone with him, Reed, you know? So, and then he's, uh, and, th- and then, so he's he goes immediately from, you know, uh, being uh, concerned for him to being mad that he doesn't tell him what happened. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you can't go zooming off to fight Doc Doom and then not tell us all the gory details. It ain't decent. I don't even think it's legal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but but fortunately, the power of the press yes. moves faster than Reed's rocket ship does. Right. Reed's space bus, uh, as Cage calls it. <laughs> yeah. Because because the good old, good old J. Jonah yes. already has, has an issue out. Dr. Doom retains power in Latveria. Ruler single-handedly crushes robot revolt. Okay, technically and, uh, it wasn't single-handed. It's a little help right. from Luke. But anyway. <laughs> well, but it's J. Jonah Jameson, right? I mean, exactly. you know. What, what, I, what, I, what I like is if you, you know, if you zoom in, you can see down below that, you know, Spider-Man actually supported Dr. Doom in this and that he's supporting despotism because he is public <laughs> menace number one. But I think that might be a little editorial from... from, uh, from and since uh, there was Jones. no... And, and, and there was also no picture of Doom uh, fighting the robots, yeah. which is Parker's fault. <laughs> so he's, he's not yeah. paying him for the last three sets of pictures. Right. <laughs> what, what I like the the interaction between Ben and Luke here is that several years down the road, 
Luke Cage would become a fill-in member of the FF oh, that's right. when, mm-hmm. when Ben lost his powers. And so there was always this kind of animosity between them during that story when the only reason and that Luke was brought in, he doesn't realize, Luke uh, Ben doesn't realize that Luke was brought in as a temp, right? Because, you know, <laughs> you, you do some fill-in temp work, you know, it's like Mr. Boy from uh, Sky High. I still do a little freelance, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> The blue really makes my eyes pop, you know, but, uh, but I do like them. You know, they're, they're the two curmudgeonly guys. So they got to, you know, curmudgeon's got a mudgeon, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you can only have one strong guy on the team and you yeah. always need one strong guy on the team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> two str- what, what happens if there's two strong guys, one of them gets killed. You know, it's like Thunderbird. We hardly knew you, pal. Okay. (laughs) He's like, I'm strong. It's like, Klaus is like, I am stronger. It's like, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be a winner. Always got to be a winner. (laughs) See, that's what that was Warpath. What Warpath did when he was on X Force was like, are any of the strong guys out here? Anybody else strong? No? Sweet. (laughs) 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 Like, I. Like oh your you your legs turn into fu- your legs turn into a rocket that's cool okay yeah you like to scream a lot oh, okay yeah that's cool you blow stuff up yeah no problem I'm the strong guy okay <laughs> mm, awesome so in the nineties there was a comic called X Force okay it was popular with young I, I, people I, I so just want to just to clarify there's there's no explicit indication of this. Uh, in the in the issue, but uh, it's become common knowledge that uh, the way Doom's armor was taken out so easy, uh, it was a defective Doombot. I was just yeah. gonna say this. I was mean, a that's Doom probably bot. the best. Mm-hmm. Got to be the best explanation of this, <laughs> because obviously Doom himself does not carry cash on him, but this Doombot, yeah. Yeah, maybe <laughs> they do. I mean, they don't. He, you don't think the Doombots have his PIN number, do you? No way. They are cash-only operators. <laughs> cash-only. Mm, for sure. So. See, I, I, just the, I just pictured the Doombots down to like the QT and let very like trying to just buy some uh, buy a slush and a hot dog and pay him with like hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but the QT and let Varia be a DT instead of Quick Trip, it'd be Doom Trip or something, you know? True. Could be, true. could be, could be. So, all right. Well, any any final thoughts here, uh, guys, on these uh, these two issues, or uh, you know, Luke Cage in general? I mean, th- this that was story... an it was an absolute delight to read. Yes, <laughs> first off, amazing. Yeah, the the story is is ridiculous, but it's ridiculous in the best kind of way. I mean, it is so so out, you know. Luke Cage, who up until this point, I said, has been that urban surrealism. Now he's fighting robots. He's, you know, getting paid by Dr. Doom. He's, you know, flying a, a Fantastic Four rocket ship. You know, he's dealing with an alien. It's like, of course, it's 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 wonderful and crazy. And yeah, is is it, it? It's one of those things where I think the sum of the parts is more than the whole because the story doesn't really hold up all that well once we get to Latveria. But the individual parts of this make this just fantastically fun. It's mm-hmm. not the best Luke Cage story, but it might be the most just, you know, the one that you're going to remember the most sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of this series, so I may just be more prone, you know? Mm, yeah. No, I don't know. I, I, I get it. I, I think it's pretty fun. You know, I mean, it's just 
especially if you were a kid, you're going to read this and you're going to have a good time. And again, you love Dr. Doom, Luke Cage or Tuska or Engelhart. I, I think you're going to really enjoy these two as well. And like I said, the epic collection, if it's still love Marvel 70s wackiness at its yeah. 70s this and wackinessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if yep. you would have told me this was written by Gerber or Zany Haney, I would have been like, yep, it was because it's it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, uh, boys, uh, I think we're just about ready to wrap this thing up here. So uh, why don't we uh, move on here to talk about what you guys have going on? So, Professor Relatively Geeky Network, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that and what's going on over there? Yes, thank you, Billy. It's a, a pleasure to speak with you again. Great to be on here with the, with the other Luke as well, Luke Cage <laughs> and mm-hmm. Luke Giaconetti. Two of my top five Lukes, by the way. I'm just throwing that out to you. Oh, very good, um, very good. So you know, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not going to go into what the order is. By the way, let's not get carried away. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, most of our work comic book related over at Relatively Geeky podcast network that feed includes of course doom speak and also the <laughs> quarter bin podcast which you can tell from this issue uh dr doom pretty big fan of that one too i think we have similar views on uh, uh personal financial financial practices the uh comics reading journal short box showcase everything you could want over at the relatively geeky podcast network Mm-hmm. And you can be found on Twitter uh, at relatively underscore geeky Rel- or geek? relatively relatively underscore geek. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So definitely look for that stuff. And then on the uh, podcatchers for, you know, uh, relatively geeky there. That's, that's, that's something everybody needs to be doing. So, uh, Luke, uh, what about you, sir? You are all over the place. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm uh, moving all about, as they, they say. So uh, my main podcast is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast mm-hmm. taking a look at all aspects of Japanese giant monster culture. That can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. In addition, I am a co-host on The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is a horror podcast, primarily horror film, but we have covered uh, a few we covered a couple issues of um, of Tomb of Dracula, and we have done some other mm. horror topics over the years. And I'd like to get back to doing nice. horror of Dracula or Tomb of Dracula at some point. That's uh, those those um, Bronze Age horror books from Marvel, or that that's really in my wheelhouse. That those are great stuff. Uh, that can also mm. be found at uh, twotruefreaks.com, and I co-host that with my brother Jason, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler, and Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell. And I'm also the co-host of Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling, and that is also at 2TrueFreaks.com, and I co-host that with my brother Jason and the Hair Metal Hero. And you can also find me on Twitter, just search for the handle uh, Eljacone, that's L-J-A-C-O-N-E, and that's my personal, and you can also find uh, at at G-B-T-T-W underscore podcast. Or no, excuse me, at GBTTW Podcast is where you can find Get Back to the Wrestling on uh, Twitter. And you can also find Get Back to the Wrestling on Facebook. We have our own group. Just search for Get Back to the Wrestling. And you can also find Get Back to the Wrestling and Earth Destruction Directive on YouTube. Just search for either of those names on YouTube, and you can find us there as well. Awesome. Gentlemen, 
thank you. This was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I thought about this uh, story and I thought, you know, we got Luke Cage, we got Doom, we have, you know, Tuska. Uh, and it, right away, you two guys, I was like, yep, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I need to recruit these guys. Got to recruit these guys. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And it is it is much appreciated because it's a lot of fun reading the story, but it was a lot of fun hanging out with uh, with you two boys because, you know, well, uh, it just uh, just a just a little just to slide the the curtain just just a hair uh we end up talking online most days but usually it's not about comics so, so this is, true. is a nice change <laughs> picks you know <laughs> yeah believe it or not yeah believe it or not it's not a lot of comics yeah. talk in our uh, our little uh, group <laughs> Yes, we are all three big fans of, uh, you know, uh, world uh, soccer, uh, football, as they call it, uh, mm-hmm. elsewhere in the world. So yeah. we uh, we talk about that quite a bit. <laughs> yep. So, OK, well, again, once again, thank you, boys, uh, for being on. This was a blast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look forward to chats in the future as well. Uh, so uh, definitely look forward to that. And uh, I'm going to jump out of here real quick and play a promo and come back to wrap up the show. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which, at this very moment, still prevails and could, at any time, lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. episode uh, once again i want to thank uh professor alan and luke for being on two great guests uh two great podcasters and, and uh, good guys so definitely check them out you know uh, at relatively underscore geek is uh, professor alan and then you can find uh, luke at, at l jacone uh, both of them like i said have lots of stuff going on really fun podcasts and uh, good follows on twitter as well so definitely give both of those guys a look and thanks for tuning in see ya Thank you.